once again, I think it's all about context. Like people, the more context people have for the world around them, the more they actually interact with other people and talk to them, the better, the better the world can be. And so, you know, you may interact with somebody at a feed station because the local 4-H club is working the feed zone and you roll in and mile 80 of some race in the middle of nowhere and you're clapped and they give you a Coke and you stand there and have a conversation and you're like, hey, they're pretty nice. And they're like, hey, that guy in spandex, it's got snot dripping down his face and is covered in salt. It's pretty nice. And everybody leaves being like, huh, I wouldn't have thought they would have been nice. You know, and it was that five minute interaction where you, you know, drank three Coca-Colas and stuff, you know, a bunch of Cliff Bars in your mouth. But, you know, it's that context and you met somebody, you talked to somebody. I think that's like super important. I think that like, again, more people out on bikes, more small races are popping up and it just allows people to interact with more people around them and like, you know, get a little context. Today's podcast is sponsored by Team Adair Cross Country Mortgage. George grew up in Sonoma County and knows what it means to act locally. His mortgage company has your best interest at heart. As a sponsor of the Grasshopper Adventure Series, everyone can get a $2,200 discount off of their next purchase or refinance. First time home buyer, no problem. Reach out to George and his team and they can help you out. Since purchasing our home 20 years ago, we've refinanced several times, and during COVID, we needed to do something to act quick to keep our family solvent. It saved us over $400 by refinancing with Team Adair and Cross Country Mortgage. Look at the link in our bio or go to crosscountrymortgage.com slash affinity slash grasshopper for the special offer. Our guest today, Chaz Christensen, needs no introduction but you're going to get one anyways. Chaz, a.k.a. not Chaz, a.k.a. Stokemaster. Chaz and I first hit it off when we headed out to do a recon of the Mendo Hopper, the two-day adventure. It was just after finishing Super Skags that I knew was going to be a torture fest after doing Sweetwater, Old Kaz, Skags, and adding on Lake Sonoma. It was a crusher of a course. And at the end of the day, him giving high fives, everybody, Chaz and Matt Young, this huge smile talking about that was the most amazing day. I said, thought, here's a brother in arms. He gets it. So Chaz and I spent a couple of days along with several other friends. And since then, we've become uh, partners in crime. And we haven't done any major adventures since then. But uh, the, the uh, hoppers have been a theme for us. Chaz is known for his dashingly good looks his unmatchable style with Oakley glasses and just all around good guy. His artwork has become ubiquitous in not only the uh, track racing scene, but uh, around the world. He's got a really distinct style. Chaz and I will talk about the origins of his cycling, what it is that makes him tick, um, his experience from the hoppers transitioning into gravel as a pro and adventure racing currently working with zip doing videos hope you enjoy listening to chaz and i reminiscing and talking about the good old days past present and future hey 
Hey, well, welcome, Chaz, to the Hopper Lounge and to another uh, episode of Fuerza Inside the Mind of the Ridden Athlete. It is good to be here, my man. Thank you for that excellent ride today, a little sunset hill cruise in your backyard. Absolutely. I think this podcast was actually just a trick to get my friends up here to give them a reason to come and, and ride with me and suffer through these these horrible back roads of Sonoma County. It was horrible. I It was it was like pulling teeth the whole time. Somehow we managed to clock almost 4,000 feet while still you know barely breaking a sweat. I say barely, but you you rode me off your wheel a couple times. It's okay. Yeah, I was lucky enough to have a chance to have Jeff Kabush a while back come and chat and uh, and and to ride here. And again, th- this labyrinth of roads back here in, in Sonoma County is uh, is pretty special. And you know, uh, growing up here, it, it's not something that I did. So to have di- rediscovered that a uh, year long time ago and bring friends out here, it's always a treat. Even though it's not dirt. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to be on dirt. It's. I mean, it's amazing. That's the thing is like you were saying. Some of the roads are freshly paved, but some of the roads that are quote unquote paved, you essentially need a gravel bike to ride them at any kind of speed. Cause you're doing, we hit 52 miles an hour, by the way, down that, when that one road, there was like the elevator and that was essentially like riding on a gravel road and hitting 50 miles an hour. So definitely pretty amazing. Yeah. Dropping the elevator shop of, of, of Barnett Valley. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the, that's the crux of West County, you know, and, and you and I met through the grasshoppers. Um, and I don't think I would ever thought to be a road rider or do these events if they weren't as challenging as mountain biking sometimes and, and, and gravel roads. I mean, I my first road race was a grasshopper. I think some of the only road races I've ever done are grasshoppers because I started doing them. I did the old Kaz the first time on a road bike, totally wrong bike for the right job. And then you were like, there's road ones too. You should ride that on some of the road ones. And I was like, what's a road race? And then I quickly found, I learned how to echelon at a grasshopper. Like I learned the finer points of road racing on this dirt series, which is amazing. That's great. We're getting just straight into the meat of it, you know, and again, I'm winging this interview, as I mentioned to you, and we're just going to talk as, as we go and as it evolves. And I didn't Google your look up your your Wikipedia. I know you have a diverse background in cycling, but tell tell us a little about like what's your current job now, and and what's been your your path to this. I know with track and messengering, and you're you're yeah. not Chaz, but you are Chaz. So really so Chaz. who is Chaz? <laughs> well, currently I do. I live the dream. I mean, I'm I'm a sponsored athlete, um, and I do. I host a YouTube channel for Zip. I run some logistics software for bike messengers. I, I kind of just get to go on amazing trips and do rad stuff with my life. But I came to this kind of a very convoluted way. I was I was a bike messenger. Um, I was actually a butcher. I worked at a butcher shop a long time ago. I was, worked in the service industry, washed dishes, prep cooked, line cooked, eventually ended up working at a butcher shop in Portland, Oregon. And then I started racing alley cats, um, street races on track bikes, became a bike messenger, moved to San Francisco, um, and was just very much into riding track bikes and racing in the street and kind of strictly doing that and living this bike messenger lifestyle. And I very, very vividly remember John Blackwell and his partner at the time, Wendy, were both messengers and they were like, there's this thing called the grasshopper. You should come do it. And I was like, I have no idea what that is, but okay. You know, they didn't say, you were like, just bring a bike with gears. And I was like, all right, I brought my old steel Malay road bike with a Dura-Ace 8-speed, 700 by 23 tires. It was my messenger work bike. I went to Oakland, which was huge for me. I lived in the city at the time. I don't even know when this was. I want to say maybe like 20, 2009, 2010 maybe. And we drove up to Occidental, which for me... I was like, we are in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea where I'm at. Like I'd never been up that way in any capacity. And it was old Kaz. First one was old Kaz. It poured down rain. I was terrified the entire time. Uh, and I think I actually finished eighth or ninth or something. I finished in the top 10, which was insane. But that was only because I was so scared 
that I, if I dropped the person in front of me, I was going to be lost forever because I was so gone. But that's really what got me on the path of riding gravel, adventure racing, like whatever you people call it. Back then, it was just the hoppers. You just rode the hoppers. And then I did old Kaz, and then they were like, you know, there's like four or five more of these. And I was like, what? What is that? And so then I learned, I literally, like I said, I learned how to road race at a hopper. I'd never done sanctioned racing in any capacity. It was always unsanctioned street racing. And the hopper was that perfect mix of unsanctioned and sanctioned. I feel like it was like still $5 or 10 bucks when I started and you got the spoke card with, you know, this is pre-Garmin, pre-anything. So you got a little spoke card with the route on the back and your mileage markers and good luck. And that was it. And so you kind of had to wing it. It was still like, you know, an, an unsanctioned training ride, I think is how it was presented to me. But I mean, obviously like Levi Leipheimer was there, you know, like a lot of pros or people that were ridiculously fast along with just like everyday people. And for someone like me that came from a non-traditional cycling background, having learning how to do, learning how to ride in the gravel, learning how to do an echelon, learning how to eat while I was riding a bike, learning how to pace line, like all of these things I learned at the hoppers. That's like, I honestly consider grasshoppers is what taught me how to actually race a bike as a professional because there were so many professionals, ex-professionals, current professionals, but also just so many normal people. So it was not intimidating. I mean, it was really intimidating, but everyone was so nice. And as long as you were down to put your nose in the wind and work, when someone told you to work, they were like, yeah, you're in it. Cool. This is how you do this. And people would pull me aside and be like, you're totally doing it wrong. You're not supposed to do it that way. Like, Or even better, people would be like, eat something. I haven't seen you eat and it's like three hours in like Chileno Valley, like three hours into Chileno Valley and they're like, I haven't seen you eat anything. You should eat something. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so I totally got off topic, but essentially like I came from bike messaging, riding track bikes. The grasshoppers are what got me into riding on the gravel, racing road, doing long distances. I trained, started training to be better at the hoppers. And then now I race gravel professionally. And I honestly think that a lot of where I'm at today is because somebody took me to a grasshopper a decade ago. Yeah, beautiful. That's a good story, Chaz. Brings tears to my eyes, warms my heart. And uh, we on our ride, we were talking about, you know, you have your mountain bike season and your there's a cross season and then people <laughs> and then think about the gravel. There's, there's hopper season. We've had a hopper season forever, 25 years now. And, you know, and I've told the story before for me, I mean, I started doing it to train for mountain biking, but it just took the place of any competition for me where as long as I had 10 to 20 friends to ride with and we were going to pin it, like I didn't really didn't care yeah. if people came or didn't came, come if they liked it or didn't like it. I knew they were good routes, um, but the vibe needed to be what it was um, and has been. The stories you're talking about is beautiful. I remember this too. Maybe I was with you. Is old the way old Kaz would start? It'd be chaotic. We'd go down Bohemian Highway. You'd people would hopefully hang on to someone in the neighborhood. Yep. <laughs> you'd climb old Kaz and you'd get to Casadero and selection had been made. And you'd look around. You'd be like, oh, who am I with? Right. And that was the crew. That was who you were with. <laughs> and that was the crew. And if you were caught with a road, he's like, come on, Jazz, pull through. You're too close. You're too hard. And you know. And then you'd have like mountain bikers. You'd have messengers. You'd have cross racers. You'd have road racers. And it was super fun. And everyone, I think. Treat each other pretty well. There was some, if if you had a pure roadie that showed up, they'd get a little worked up because things weren't quite orderly enough. But, but also, if you had someone who was like me, I would get regulated a little bit because I was just out there like flying off the trail, doing everything wrong. Like it was this mutual respect of like, especially if you made the selection, and that's a huge thing with the hoppers, is you 
there's always selections to be made and their roots, especially once you do them a couple of times, you know when the selection is going to happen and personal goals have always been, and I've talked to so many people about this where it's like, I just want to make it to the top of Sweetwater in the lead group, or I just want to get to Austin Creek, you know, with a good group. Like it's these super specific points in these routes where it's like, my goal is not even to win this race or do anything. It's just to make it, you know, climbing up old up Willow Creek at the end of class. Like I just got to make it to the two sisters and make it up, make it up the two sisters be, you know, and I'll be good. And so all these little sections in the routes made these selections happen. And then you were with these people, right? And it was such a diverse group of people. You literally have pro mountain bikers, bike messengers like myself, pro road racers, rad dads, you know, probably some 14 year old kid that just has legs for days, but has no idea what he's doing. Everyone's there, but there was this mutual respect of like, if you made that selection and you were with this group, it doesn't matter who you are, where do you come from? We're all in this together. It's probably pouring down rain and it's freezing cold. So we're just all going to do this. Like everyone hangs on and people, I found out later, cause like I said, I started doing the hoppers. People in the hoppers would help you. And it would be this thing where like people, I thought it was normal and it wasn't until I started doing other races that I realized it wasn't normal for somebody to give you a goo or like give you that little push to get you over that last hump when everyone could tell you were struggling, but you were almost to the tops just so you didn't get broke off the group because it was like you made the selection, the selection is going to stay together. Whereas now when you're racing the gravel road, they're super competitive. Like the point is to break the selection apart. I feel like the hoppers were a lot more about keeping the selection together and like doing it all together and racing together which for me was like, it's a huge thing. You know, it's not about winning or losing. It's about the experience with the people you're with. Yeah. And, and those points you mentioned, I think it's unique to the terrain because if you, you know, Huffmaster's different that way, you just rode out in still water at, uh, at um, Mid-South and that's different. We've always had these where you have these selections kind of early on when you can anticipate this efforts, which has been good for keeping the group small and, and safe. And like you said, you'd also know, You'd make those efforts, but if you're you're like, oh, I made this effort. I'm with this group. I'm like, should I stay with this group? Right? Those were those things. Okay, I made this, but am, 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 Can I, am hang? I going to stay? That was there? always the thing. My 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 goal is always to hang with the lead group till like the second aid station, or like you know, like hang with the lead group till the top of Skags or something. But yeah, it's like, should I? Because a lot of these races, you know, they're they they they're long, they're hard, but they're way harder than you think. And so, like, fifty miles in, and you're feeling good, and you're like, I'm going to hang with this selection. And I used to just do that until I would just absolutely shatter. There was one time on Skags that I hung on a lead group too far and you passed me at one point and you're like, you're doing great. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I've got like 30 miles left with, you know, all of actually climbing back up Skags to finish. And I was just like, oh, because I, I made the mistake and that I, I made the mistake of hanging on too long. And that actually taught me to know when to pull the parachute, to know when to be like, there's 47 miles left in this race. Yeah. I feel great, but like I should, I should let this group go. <laughs> Speaking of Skaggs, I'll share a story. And so Skaggs, um, not not a lot of people have ridden it. They've done King Ridge. It's still when you say Skaggs, you're like, ooh, Skaggs, because it's not just 100 miles, but but it's remote. And so we did started running the Grasshopper. I did that a couple of times, and I'm like, that's hard, but that's not really Grasshopper. So let's out on Lake Sonoma. <laughs> so at mile 75 or 80, I think uh, it was mile 82 actually. 82. <laughs> You get to ride that section of, of single track, which for me, it was just beautiful. We did on a, on a birthday ride, and, it, and it's incredibly hard. And if you think you understand what bike and tires to run, you do not once you throw in 15 miles of single track, well, that's right? That's the point of the hopper is there's no perfect bike and there's no perfect tire combo for any hopper. And that, the Skaggs, the Skaggs Dirt Supreme, right? That's when it became the Skaggs right. Dirt Supreme. That is the epitome of the hoppers because you have 82 miles of essentially road. It's 
pretty chunky road. Like you probably want some 32s, but you could do it on 28s. It's fast, but it's it's road. And then you have what is it? Twelve miles of straight mountain bike single track. I think there's like you know twenty eight, almost three thousand feet of climbing. Yeah, and it's like you need a mountain bike for this. But are you really going to lug a mountain bike for eighty two miles? And then you get out of it, and you still have to do some more road to the finish. And so, like, I mean, the first year I did it, actually, that was the year that I cracked so hard that and now you rode by me and you're like, you got it. Have fun on the single track. I didn't even do the single track. I was so pitted that I was like, there's no way that I can do that. And so the next year I was like, my only goal, that's one of those things where it wasn't about the winning or losing. The next year I came back and I was like, that my only goal is to do the single track, to regulate my effort and be there in time to do it. And I did it on 700 by 32 uh, gravel like tires on a gravel bike with road pedals, and I remember I destroyed a pair of cleats because I ended up walking so much of the single track on my like Shimano road cleats that I just like absolutely destroyed. Yeah, them. well, I, I have to confess, I think that's where I you know truly fell in love with you and, and then invited you to the Mendo Hopper at the end of that ride. But you and Matt Young, who yep. I also at the end of Skags, where most people were just like. I think Olivia Dillon was like, I don't know if I want to hit you in the face or hug you. Yeah. I was like, I don't know, maybe both. Yeah, probably, but. You had this beaming smile on both, and I was like, that was so great. And that's when I was like, okay, these guys need to do the two-day Mendo Hopper. Yeah. Just to know the, the embracing of that, like just the look and the smile was like, you know, you, you got it. And that, anyways, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the hoppers is it – for me, again, it's always – it stopped being about like what place I was. You know, we're always racing. We're competitive. We're out here trying to get a good placing. But for me, it was always about those personal goals. And it was just like I'm going to do the single track. So even just – like I could have gotten last place that race, but the fact that I did the single track and completed it meant that I had, I had the best race ever. Like that was it. And I know that in the last, you know, decade, you've had opportunities to travel and do some, do some crazy adventures. You know, what, what, what has the highlight been the highlight for you in, in the last bit of, uh, of your trips? I know you've done some multi-stage ones and you had some big plans prior to COVID. Um, yes. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of one of those things again, that I attribute to the hopper is got me into riding long distances because pre-hopper, a long ride for me was, you know, 40 miles. I was a bike messenger. A long day was 40 miles. So a long ride was 40 miles. I'd done a little bit of bike touring, you know, but it wasn't anything like big. And then you start racing the hoppers and you talk about hopper season. And for me, that was always, my goal was to be fit for hopper season. I think everyone else is trying to peak in June. I was trying to peak in like March, you know, so that I could be like ready. But then you're ready for your summer adventures, yeah, right? So Which it, took you to where? What? Yeah. And so it got me ready. And so I was using, I had this base of miles. I would be ready in March. And so then I was like, well, I've got these legs. I can just ride like all day. So then I got into ultra endurance racing, um, which is, you know, some of these races, I raced the transcontinental a couple of times. It's, I think it was 2,800 miles across Europe and much like a hopper, you just kind of get this kind of route, but it's like kind of a, maybe not fixed. You're kind of, there's a couple of things here and there, but they're just like, go, go, go do your thing. You're on your own, pack your food, pack your supplies and hit it. Um, and so, you know, I, I transitioned into ultra endurance racing on the road to begin with, um, which I really enjoyed. Me and me and a partner got, uh, we were the first pair in on the transcontinental in 2018. Um, we had 2,800 miles across Europe, um, hit four checkpoints. And those are, those were kind of becoming the, the highlight. But another thing about the hopper is there was six races every year and one of them was a mountain bike race. And I'm not a mountain biker. I was not a mountain biker. And every year you were like, when are you going to get a mountain bike and come to Lake Sonoma? When are you going to do it? And I, every year I'd be like, next, next year, no, it's not going to. I think I skipped it for like the first nine years I did a hopper. 
And then I finally got a mountain bike and I finally came out and did Lake Sonoma. And I was like, this was insane. It was like the hardest thing in the entire world. But I got, you literally got me, it guilted me into getting a mountain bike so I could do Lake Sonoma. So I got one, I did it. And then I was like, well, I can do ultra endurance on my mountain bike. And so now I've gotten really into doing ultra endurance on the mountain bike. That's kind of been a COVID thing. I did the Atlas mountain race in Morocco, 2020, February, 2020, like right before the lockdown. And I did it on a gravel bike and it was horrible. It was the worst experience. That wasn't the worst experience, but definitely wrong bike for the right job. And I was like, I need to do, start doing this on mountain bikes. Um, and so now I'm really into mountain bike ultras and all the races on my calendar that I'm targeting in 2022 are all mountain bike ultras. But I can definitely credit you along with a handful of other friends in the Bay for being like, get a mountain bike, dude, they're great. And you were actually telling me that since like 2011. And I was like, I don't know, you're crazy. But once again, you were also the one that told me to put fat tires on my bike. You told me to get disc brakes. So <laughs> you're giving me too much credit. I, I may have planted the seed there. I do remember that I'd forgot about that. And this happens each year at Lake Sonoma, which I love. I think, I forget how I was, maybe I was, who was saying this is we're going to, we're going to make you know, mountain biking popular, but we have people, gravel's been big enough, long enough that it's the only bike people have ridden, which, yeah. which is wonderful. It's gotten countless people into cycling who are going, going to be discovering mountain bike and that yeah. new skill set and, and, and that opportunity to get to, to different places. Um, which, which is, which is great to see the, Thing that I want to ask you about, it's a shift that I'm seeing, which I don't think I'd anticipated. And I mentioned this to people that like in the peaks of, I don't know if the peak is the right word, but there was a, there was a time when to me, I just wasn't aware of gravel as a genre because as it's been going on, I've been teaching and raising a family and working on my property. And it's just like tunnel vision. Right. Um, but clearly people are traveling there's destinations, what the cyclist menu is doing in Patagonia. I w hadn't anticipated of that, but it's finally now, like, you know, I spent a couple trips to, to Hayfork with visiting Cherney, yep. which I never would have thought I'd put a drop bar, knobby tired bike to travel. I've always said it's my mountain bike and I'm riding single track. Um, and, and I think that that's, there are destinations for that. Um, yeah, it's huge. I mean, people travel all over the world and, and the country for gravel now. It's crazy. People travel to the grasshoppers for gravel. I think you don't you do, you don't necessarily know I still don't believe about you. it because you're, you're organizing these races and running these races. But like, you know, I think now like 20 to 30% of the people that are lining up at any any grasshopper are not locals. They've come from, you know, SoCal or Oregon or Washington or Colorado. And people are flying out, especially because hopper season again is usually the middle of the winter. It's, it is the middle of the winter, but everyone else is like in a, under a foot of snow and it's pouring down rain. And it, you know, it may be cold, but at least out here you can have a, you can have a I almost race. put on a vest today, Jazz. I know, almost. I wore long sleeves and I kind of regretted it. But yeah, it is kind of crazy to see destination cycling become much more of a popular thing because for the longest time you just kind of raced your local races and that's what you race and maybe you went to like you know a nationals or whatever a championship or regionals and that was the big travel event of the year. But now the gravel calendar is massive. And I think a lot of people are finding that they are race. They go to these races and they're races, but they're like, man, I just kind of want to go ride these routes without having to race them. So people are starting to do like, I guess, gravel, gravel touristing where they're like, I'm just going to go to this place and ride these routes. And like, not, there's no race going on. I'm just going to bring some friends to do it, which I'm all about. Although honestly, I, every time now I just like, I want to bring my mountain bike. So I'm kind of going back to where you are. I'm like, why would I ride my gravel bike when I could just ride my hardtail? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's absolutely that that's the thing or, or your full suspension a little bit. So it kind of depends what you're, you're playing towards what you really want to do. I still know my, my friends in Marin, they do their weekend gravel ride. And I, I, I've, 
maybe there'll be a day, but I've never dr- taken a drop bar bike to, to Fairfax. Like if I'm in yeah, Fairfax and I'm going to be on TAM, bike. I could get down those descents on my gravel bike, but I know how fun it is on my camber. It's more fun. It's more funner. Dude, I raised Uso <laughs> on a hardtail and I loved it. I was so Who gave you that idea? Time. Dude, you did. You were like, I mean, also I, I raced it on a, on a gravel bike and I just coming down to Usall to the finish, you just, your fillings come out if you have any, you know? And this year I was like, I'm bringing the hardtail. And it was an entirely different race. It was so much better because I would just, I, I enjoyed it so much more and I was able to send it. So I'm at, I think it's like, maybe it's like the full cycle, you know, but I'm at the part of the cycle where I'm like, if I can ride it on a gravel bike, I'm just going to ride it on my hardtail. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's important for everyone to remember just like the and this goes in my pre-ride talks or messages. I don't know if people listen to that, but I, it, for me, it's really important to come back to just being thankful for the health and the wealth and the friends and the opportunity to do these things. And then that, we get into the minutia of things, which is part of the fun, you know? Um, but it, for me, it's just, it's always been about, about, you know, the biking has been about time with people. And as the gra- grasshoppers have grown, like some people were concerned that it was getting, you know, too big or, or wasn't just Sonoma County. And, and like each, as the circle's grown, it's like just meeting more people from maybe a, a bigger area that just has that, that, that desire to, to, to enjoy each other's company, to bush themselves. Uh, you know, lately we've been connecting with some great things to do something with the HuffMaster Foundation and now with the with the Volunteer F- uh, Fire Foundation. So, and you know, and we'll have the the West County Mountain Bike Team out there. So to keep combining biking with local and community stuff, and and I think that is the heart of what a lot of the individually owned gravel stuff has been, where people get to create their own event, their own vibe, their feel, their groups that they're raising for. And I, this, it's, it's, it's endearing to see. I mean, to me, that's always been the most important part on so many levels. You know, we, talk, we were talking about the selection, right? During the races, I have my hopper friends. And Matt Young's one of them who I now am actually friends with in real life. But every time you'd make the selections... I just be with the same people because it's all about your fitness and where you're at and your shred level. And so I would always year after year be riding these same races with these same people because we'd make the same selections and people would come, people would go to pace on fitness and who made it or not. But like I 100% still have hopper friends that I'm like, I know your name. I think I know your name, but I've been riding with you for literally a decade coming out to these same races making the same selections. And it's great because it's like, that's the community of it. And now there's more people and I'm people that are coming from out of state and like out of country that I'm like, oh, you're here. Like, oh, you were here last time. You're here this time. You know, I think that's one part of it. It really is about the community. And I look forward to that again, more than I look forward to being competitive in a, like what place that I get. It's like, can I hang with, you know, this guy that I don't even know his name, but I know that he wears the Roaring Mouse kit and he's usually on a red gravel bike or, oh yeah, you got a new bike this year. And, and I have a question for us. You've gone to a lot of the larger events and I know many of them do have that vibe. Is there a number or does it depend on the event when some people get into multi thousands? I know you still have a great time at the events. I mean, I have never met, I have never felt the same vibe that I felt at a grasshopper at some at these other events possibly mid south because that's probably one of the closest races that has the hopper vibe but i think the hopper vibe is super unique i've seen the hopper grow i mean i remember the first couple of years i did it you know 200 people was like big it was like oh there's 200 people it was huge you know and now it's like you think you have you have to cap reg at what like 5 i think and that's then it sells out like immediately and it's like but i think that the vibe is still somehow managed to stay the same i think that maybe the size does 
matter if you have 2,000 people at a race. It's like, you know, how are you going to find your friends? But I think a lot of it is just it's about like what are people out there for, you know? And I think the hoppers, since the hoppers started as something that wasn't necessarily a race, you know, what it was the unsanctioned training ride, it was never about who won. It was about just going as fast as possible, pushing yourself with a rad group of people on some of the most amazing routes ever. And I think that ethos has just stayed with it. And now there is, you know, the pros show up and there's a first place, second place, third place, podium, all the, all the age categories. But I think the vibe is still remained where it's like way more about the people you're riding with. What, and what do you think about, um, we talked about on the ride, you know, and I've tried not to get political, but it's nice to hear opinions and takes on it because, you know, there's been a lot of speculation. Where is gravel? Is gravel being ruined? Did it peak? Did it jump the shark? I, and, and first of all, when you say gravel, it's difficult to define what that is. Is that a bike with drop bars on a gravel road exclusively? Is it a certain size thing? Is it just in the Midwest? But like, um, and now we've seen clearly the specifically lifetime buying large events, uh, you have a series BWR moving all over, doing things. You have UCI coming into this. Um, and I don't really want to talk about is it good or bad or ruined or not. The, the things change. Things evolve. There's things some positive change. things. Yeah. What's your, ta- what's, what's your take on, on where things are now in this season that's coming up? Because a lot of things are, are coming into play, oh. both with Lifetime and then with UCI. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think the biggest thing is everything changes. Like, the change is the only constant in the world, right? And there's always a cycle. I went through this with fixed gear criteriums kind of before gravel. I was racing fixed gear criteriums, red hooks, when it was just kind of like early hoppers. It was just kind of really rough and tumble. And it was way more about just showing up with your friends that you would see at all the red hooks and going fast and rubbing elbows. And then the pros came in and the money came in and it got big and it got to be this big thing. And, you know, I feel like that's the exact same thing that's happening with quote unquote gravel racing, adventure racing. But I'm not mad at it. And I don't think it's good or bad. I think it just is what it is. I do races like the Grasshopper and like Mid-South and the people that remain independent where the vibe stays will always hold a special place in my heart. But I think those are the races, change is constant, but those will just be there because it's not about the attendance, the views, the likes, the money, the purses. It's about the experience. But on the upside, seeing you know Lifetime and what's going on, it is getting more people on bikes, which ultimately I think is the big goal is getting people outside, getting people moving, you know, sweat is the fountain of youth and it, it gets people out there and it does it. And so from my perspective, as long as we got the hoppers and I still got hopper season to look forward to, I can look at what's going on and I'm looking at this year and I'm like, okay, there's a select number of professional gravel cyclists. There's two big series One's got a lot of money. One's got a world championship jersey. Which one are the people going to gravitate towards? Because there's an only a set amount of, you know, days races can happen, and there's only a set amount of fitness any specific racer can pack in. You can't race every weekend for five months, so it's really just like I'm sitting back with like kind of with my popcorn, like kind of be like, okay, what's going to go down? So I I think this could be a pivotal year for gravel. You know, I think the way a lot of the organizations happening is maybe not the most fair and equitable, I think is a nice way of putting it. Um, but at the, ultimately, people are out riding bikes. People are moving. 
as long as we got the hopper and like the bastions of independent racing to keep the vibe, I'm content to just sit here and hold my popcorn and watch it all go down. Yeah, right on. There's no sense to, to judge on that. And, and I think there's so much demand for these events. I mean, my thought, if an event sells out a couple thousand people in a couple minutes, then maybe a couple miles down the road a month later, one could have a real similar event. If there's so much demand for things, yeah. then people could add their own flavor to that through their rotary, rotary club or through their whatever the group I've seen that they so many do, right? small gravel races pop up in the last year because people... I think much like how you started the hoppers or how the hoppers started, just people locally are like, these are the routes that I ride with my friends and they're rad and we love them. And then somebody's like, why don't I throw a race? And all his friends are like, why don't you throw a race? You know? And then the race gets started and it gets out there and it gets thrown. And so, and because there's so much demand for this, people will come to a race. Like I raced an amazing race in Burns, Oregon. You know, that town is very small. It's in the middle of nowhere. But it's got an amazing bike race because somebody was like, I'll throw a race, you know? And I think there was just enough people that now it's an established race. So my big takeaway from everything is that I hope as the cycle goes, this will allow some smaller races to gain a little bit of traction and we'll get just more more races that aren't necessarily on like a tour, um, you know, like a lifetime tour or like count towards UCI points, but are just cool races. Once again, getting people out on bikes that people will go and then it'll support the community because almost every race donates some money back to the community. Like you said, the Rotary Club supports it. It brings the community out to see the value of bike racing, which I think is super big. You know, cars versus bikes is always going to be a thing, no matter how much we don't want it to be. But when the community sees cyclists out and you know the the fire department and like the local police and the local community are there being a part of it and they see people coming in you know tourists gravel tourists but gravel tourists bring their money and they spend a lot of money at restaurants and they spend a lot of money in hotels and it's good for the town so ultimately i, I see it as only being like a positive thing hopefully yeah and one of the great things about about cycling and why we love it and some people do is is you're looking to, to mostly ride from where you live yeah. right it, it it gets better for your health your physical health for your mental health um, you know, the it's untold benefits and we can't live without it if you're not putting it into a vehicle and so anywhere that towns that kids don't need to drive to a mountain and then that can lead to building your pump track and to your mountain bike trails and that stuff but there's already dirt roads there i mean that's what a friend of mine you know this is uh Lauren Cantwell was talking about, you know, yeah, all these exp around these dirt roads from Reno. I'm like, yeah, from Reno until what, Appalachians, like yeah, to forever, all like, the way across the country. If you look at just dirt roads, I mean, and and for us, if you want to throw your bike in a truck, let's go someplace new in Nevada. Okay, we'll do it. Someplace new in in uh, the Central Valley. Well, maybe. I mean, I've been to so many. I've been to so many races in the Central Valley, and they were weird experiences. But again, like I went to these places because of a race. And maybe it was like, maybe this isn't my gym, but I went and I experienced the local town and I like went and I spent my money and I supported the local causes that they were going for. And I went, you know, and every, a lot of other people went. And it's just, once again, I think it's all about context. Like people, the more context people have for the world around them, the more they actually interact with other people and talk to them, the better the, better the world can be. And so, you know, you may interact with somebody at a feed station because the local 4-H club as work in the feed zone and you roll in and mile 80 of some race in the middle of nowhere and you're clapped and they give you a Coke and you stand there and have a conversation and you're like, Hey, they're pretty nice. And they're like, Hey, that guy in spandex, it's got snot dripping down his face and is covered in salt. It's pretty nice. And everybody leaves being like, huh, I wouldn't have thought they would have been nice. You know? And it was that five minute interaction where you, you know, drank three Coca-Colas and stuff, you know, a bunch of clip bars in your mouth. But 
you know, it's that context and you met somebody, you talked to somebody. I think that's like super important. I think that like, again, more people out on bikes, more small races are popping up and it just allows people to interact with more people around them and like, you know, get a little context. Okay, Ch- uh, Chaz, this is not a, not just a chance to give a sponsor plug, but I'm going to ask you, we're going to shift it to gear and bikes and technology. And I don't do a lot of talking about this. I like good stuff and I like it to work and I don't really tweak over the new things, but uh, of all the things that evolve, what is the best thing in the last 10 to 15 years of, of if, the, if you could have everything else not with the new and the one, what's the one thing for the you one thing, man, I probably should mention, you know, like electronic shifting, like prism trail technology, but really tubeless tubeless tire technology has been the ultimate game changer, no flats or less flats, just the ability to send it like really most of the reasons we do this right is because we like speed. In some ways, we're like adrenaline junkies, we're speed junkies. We like that feeling of barely being in control as you're flying down some like two-inch wide trail on the side of a cliff. And tubeless just lets you do that more and better. You just you don't have to worry about it. You get so much more grip. You can air down and you can send it dyna plugs or any sort of tubeless tire plugging technology, although if you're not using dyna plugs, you're blowing it. You know, lets you, especially during races like the hopper or any race, if you get a flat and you plug it and you're back in the game, you're not spending, you know, five minutes pulling a tube out and pumping it up and doing and probably catching the tube, flatting it again as you put the tire back onto the tire lever and having to do it again. Instead, you just plug it and go. Maybe the sealant catches it and you're good. So many things about bikes have come up in the last decade, but tubeless to me is the biggest thing. Although I will give a solid shout out to disc brakes as the second one because the faster you can stop is the faster you can go I, I think I would agree with that same with that same thing disc, tubeless and then disc brakes another thing with, with the tubeless that, that we appreciate is that running that lower pressure makes it just so much more fun not just fighting but comfortable I remember, I remember racing cross country on you know rim brakes with 26 inch wheels and having between 45 and 50 oh, PSI because you didn't want to flat. I run like that on my rocky. road bikes now. It was rocky and you didn't want <laughs> yeah, to flat. No, 100%. Like, that was it. And now it. it's like you're out down at like 28. You're like, okay, it's going to be wet. I'll put it down at 26. Yeah, on the mountain bike at 23. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, that's a sponsor plug. The whole like zip tubeless total system efficiency thing where they ran all of that through like the wind tunnel, the like rolling road, all that. And they literally are like, if you run, like, the lower tire pressure you have, while it may feel slower, is actually faster because instead of bouncing around and losing a bunch of energy going up and down, the tire absorbs it all and all your energy goes to going forward. And they've actually done a bunch of, like, you know, testing into that. But I just, yeah, I like it because the grip too. Like, for me, coming from a messenger background and coming into the dirt, especially mountain biking, you've got to trust your tires. You basically have to be kind of out of control. If you're, if you're, if you're doing it right you're 50-50 out of control when you're going around a turn, right? You know, you're drifting a little bit, front front wheel's a little squirrely. And I had a really hard time with that because I come from a background of like, if you're sliding, you're, in, you're on the pavement under a car. And so being able to air down and have that confidence in the corners and be able to feel the tire roll a little bit and be like, it's good, I'm okay. That was huge for me. So like tubeless and disc brakes again, those are the two biggest things I think, you know, and also the gearing. We were talking about this as we were climbing, but. Oh yeah. And the dropper pose. Oh yeah. And the suspension. <laughs> but and the, the gearing, come on, the... <laughs> think about it. We used to do this on cross bikes. And so you had what, a 42 front ring and probably maybe a 28 rear and you're climbing all this stuff. And now I've got my 34 front and my 52 rear. And I really, I got, I got to give a shout out to gearing. I, I agree. I look at people's <laughs> bikes. I have a two by, but when I look at the range for some of the one buys, just like, 
you're freaking kidding me. It I mean, it, it works. Like that, that actually works with that chain line. It's 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 it incredible. I mean, but so does my two by, and so does my old salsa with my triple. Yeah, I mean, it does. Yeah, that's the thing. It it's works. It's just. But once again, it's all about comfort. Like you were saying, it's like why ride a mountain bike? Why ride a gravel bike when you could ride a mountain bike? Yeah, and again, that's when we add the element of the competition because when you're pinning it, then those sort of things, all those little things, you know, matter. And that's, I think, an upside of like the marketization of graveling and the the R&D and the development in that like what it's done for these bikes that we're riding it, it's the aerospace formula 1 it's technology crazy. of this of what SRAM's doing and other developers it, it, it's fantastic I will say though it's taken a little bit of Maybe not the fun, but the skill set out. Because when I started, especially with the hoppers and oh yeah, to kick your rear derailleur, to shift, yeah, kick your rear derailleur. Now, how many people know nowadays know how to snap a foot out and whack that rear derailleur just right? No, but a lot of racing these races and being good at them was getting your bike to the finish line and knowing how to like baby your shifter when it's been pouring down rain and everything's covered in mud or when you're flying down Willow Creek and there's twigs everywhere and you know you, your whole drivetrain is just covered in, in gunk and there's you know all this stuff not flatting all of this it was so much more about your ability to keep your bike rolling and nowadays because the technology's gotten so far and everything is so good is that you could I, I don't really worry about my bike anymore and I remember the first like the first five or six years I did hoppers or any other gravel race a ton of it was like worried about the bike constantly like checking things making sure nowadays I just send it and I just trust and you know that's that's also an amazing thing but I think it's taken a little bit of what it meant to do not a gravel race because I mean the grasshopper adventure series I mean it really was it was an adventure race first and foremost and people have coined the term gravel and that's what everyone's running with but doing an adventure race takes a little bit more of a skill set and doing it on a rim brake bike with you know a nine speed group that's probably a couple years old and you were making sure everything worked and and just in our chat last night with uh, Ted and Laura and Jess was reminding people how to prepare it's like and I agree with that you could have your toolkit but nothing goes wrong for so long so the tubes that you have they've worn a hole in them your sealant's dried up like you don't have anything because you just don't think anything's going to go wrong. Because your bike's works great. Because it often doesn't, (laughs) which is amazing but when it does then, then that sucks it doesn't Makes sense not yeah, to. Yeah, when have it goes all bad. I mean, nowadays when it goes all bad, like if you have a battery die or you don't have any seal and your your tubeless tire actually comes off the rim, then you're really you know up a creek without a paddle. Yeah, hey, I, <laughs> I have I have a I have a story of, of a fix on the road. This happened pre-riding the Huffmaster. Having I have a Shimano Di2 on my Inglis, and the the battery was kind of funky, but it was working. I'll yeah. just go for it. So it, the, my battery died over by like the racetrack. Famous so I had one gear, right? <laughs> But uh, I was with Wait, Bre- for the rest of Huffmaster, like, yeah, you like one gear, like and I was 20? in my like forty-eight eleven, yeah. And we were doing, this, and and Brennan was like, "Hey, I think you could plug yours into Therms." So we we took his <laughs> cable, plugged it into my derailleur, and shifted with his shifted. into the middle, and we did that twice. So That's, when you got to the bottom of Huffmaster, you're like, "Let me borrow your cable. I got to shift up a little bit." Yeah, we shifted up. That was pretty cool. So Chaz, tell me about. I know, I know you're an artist too. What's 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 the story with that? And oh, do man. you have time for that? I mean, what, you, yeah, have, man, you have a lot of passions. Do you have that's time? Just what I, that's, that's something that I've always done and I've done it for fun. And then it's something that over the course of the years has just become its own little entity. Like, I mean, you had me do that shirt for the 20 year, the poster and the shirt. And it just was people 
like you in the bike industry that were like, can you do this design for me? And I, cause I didn't have a lot of confidence in it. I you doodled on things as a kid, as a, there's always, always doodling, but you know, as an artist, especially when I was starting, everyone was like, nobody likes this. This is dumb. I still think it's dumb, but I, I really, at one time was like, nobody likes this. This looks like a kid drew it. Like, but enough times and enough people are like, can you do this design for me? Can you do this shirt? It gave me a lot of confidence to kind of start to put it out there. And I think I just got lucky that people really associate with it and are, are really stoked on it because I just provided more opportunities for me to doodle on stuff. And for me, a lot of it was just, you know, it started as a bike messenger, but even riding just, you know, you, you see things when you're out riding a bike. It's one of the greatest things about riding a bike is you're pretty intimately connected with the world around you. You it in your hair. You can hear what someone's saying as you ride by him. You can smell whatever you are. You know, riding out in the wilderness, it's amazing and it smells good and everything sounds good. Riding around in the city, maybe not so much, but all those things stuck with me. And my art was just a way for me to kind of express those feelings that I was feeling, things that I heard and in some sort of permanence. And so I just started just, you know, doodling whatever I heard or what I thought or things that were hard. You know, like the, the biggest thing lately has been like the shred abides and fear is a liar. And that was a big thing during COVID is because for me, so much of my life was centered around, pre-pandemic was centered around going and shredding and doing this. And all of a sudden it was like, my life stopped. Travel stopped, bike racing stopped. And I was freaking out, right? I had a lot of fear in my life. And then I was all of a sudden like, wait, the shred abides. Like, if it sucks that I'm riding by myself, you know, especially the first couple months when it was like, so everyone was social distancing. But I was like, I'm still shredding. Like I'm still, I mean, I came up here, I drove up here and rode a bunch of the hopper courses by myself just because I was like, I can still do this. I can still go bomb Willow Creek and like go so fast that I have tears streaming out of my eyes. It's still here. And that's was like the shred abides and then like fear is a liar. It's just like all this fear that I had about life changing and everything going away was a big lie because it was, you know, we're, we're, what do we do today? We went and rode together outside and we're having hoppers again and the world's starting to come back. And so it was a big thing for me to like feel those things, but then write them down and draw them on things just as a way of like, honestly, just reminding myself. Like most of my art is me think, writing things down to remind myself whenever I feel bad, feel negative or have doubts. I just look at that and I'm like, it's okay. And I would guess looking at how time consuming it is that that, is a meditation, a mantra, because it's so focused at, at what you're doing. It's the art. I mean, you have your message, yeah. which is going over and over again, but then there's the patterns to it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it is a meditation, and it's funny because it's the perfect, unless I've gone way too hard and my hands are totally shot, it's the perfect accompaniment to riding bikes, racing bikes, training, because that's such... Uh, like immediate, like non-meditational thing. I mean, I know you can get into like a meditative state on long bike rides, but you're paying attention to so much. If you're racing, you're, you know, you're pushing yourself a ton. Everything's going crazy. But when I'm drawing, it's like I can focus on this one thing and I can just, I don't, I don't have to use my body. Like I said, unless I've ridden so hard that my hands have cramped, it's something I can do, go on a really long bike ride and then just sit and like, you know, meditate in a way. It's actually funny because I, I never did heart rate monitors, but I finally got a whoop last year. And I have watched myself when I draw, like my heart rate, it almost goes as low as when I sleep. You know, like I get down to like almost like resting heart rate vibes when I'm drawing just because I just like, I zen out, I guess. I just get super meditative. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and I can't remember exactly your line, but I, I know from knowing you that well, I could just guess that you'd have a similar perspective on this. And it, ever since I've seen that slogan, like no fear, it's just like, 
I dislike it strongly yeah. because of the message of it. Like that, that, that's being alive and being human. There's fear. There's fear of loss. There's fear of death. There's fear of failure. Yeah. It's what we do with that and how we uh, react to those situations or to hear that, but then to guide with our purpose. Um, and I think as athletes, that that's a real important thing because I mean, that that's human. We're, 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 we're vulnerable. Things can happen. Yeah. I mean, fear is a real thing. Like I think fear is a liar, but fear also keeps you safe, <laughs> you know? And that's a lot of what keeps, especially as a bike racer, what keeps you going is that you have this fear of getting hurt and you, you, you take care, you know, you're sending it and you're just going for it, but you're also, it's not reckless abandon. It's not reckless abandonment. Yeah. I mean, cause you wanted to be doing this for a long time. My other thing is take some risk, live fast, die old. You know, I'm not saying take all the risk. Take, take some risk. Live fast, die old. Like, I'm not trying to live fast, die young. I'm trying to live fast, but I'm also trying to make it all the way to the end of the race. You know, so to say, what's that Hunter S. Thompson quote? Like, I'd rather skid into the finish, rather than skidding into life, the end of life in a brand new, perfectly maintained body, I'd rather skid in, you know, with scars and broken, barely running and screaming, that was a hell of a ride. Something like that. Like, I want to finish, but I'm going to use it as much as I can. There's a fine line, you know? And I think with bike racing, especially the fear is what keeps you racing over the course of a whole season. I, people always ask like, what does it take to be a good bike racer? And it's like, oh, training, discipline, you know, all of those things are important. But a lot of it is also just not being so focused on the W that you don't finish the race because you crashed out because you were so like, you know, into it. It's keeping, keeping yourself upright. Yeah. And it's, it's enjoying the, the, the process of whatever that is and where, where we're at. It's not like, Oh, I get to this point. Cause we know so many goals that we have, whether it's in athletics or in life. So we get there, Oh, I'm married or I bought the house or I got, I won this race. And then the next day you're like, well, now what? I'm still me. I have this thing. So it's good to have these things ahead of us, to 100%. Keep focus, especially when, the, when they're real and, and, uh, but it's not like, oh, I'm there. Like, like who would want to win the race of life because then you get to the end first. And then, yeah, you're done. My thing is always is search for Stoke because it's not about, like, I'm not there for the, for the W. I'm just there to get stoked. So the search for Stoke is never ending because all I want to do is just find, you know, the next bit of Stoke. And people are like, what is Stoke? And, you know, really, what do you do? You stoke a fire, right? You, you stoke a fire, you put more fuel in the fire, you get the fire bigger. So the Stoke is just, the fuel, whatever makes you excited. And for me, you know, a lot of it is going fast in the dirt on my bike, you know, but it could be anything. It could be baking. You could, you could get so stoked baking amazing cakes or pies or whatever. And that's what you want to do. Like, that's what you're going to do, whatever yeah, it is. Absolutely. And, and a big part of that is being, seeing others stoked. I know that for you, it's not just for yourself. Like yeah, we yeah. have that, you know, whether it's in your, you're sharing your sport or with your son or with, uh, whatever it is, seeing people do things like that, that, yeah, that part of community is, huge. is, is huge. Cause if it's just alone, but now we have social media, we, we can share it with everybody. It is. But I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's better. Everything in is person. better shared. I think yeah, in person, I mean, that's like, like once again, why the hoppers are so great is cause it's, it's about bringing everybody together. Like you said, when me and Matt finished that skags and everyone else was like, I'm dying. And we were like, this is amazing. Like, that's like, I can't even remember how many times in any bike race, hoppers, but especially gravel. I think it's just this adventure gravel scene brings us together where you're having the darkest moment. You know, you're mid-race, you're hungry, everything's going poorly. 
And then somebody else is there and they're, they're feeling the same way. And then all of a sudden, like five minutes later, both of you are like, this is amazing. Like, how are we out here doing this? This is great. Or you finish a race and you feel great. Or you're at the start of the race and you feel great, but you're sharing it with somebody. And I think that's what makes these, this type of racing really powerful is that it's a shared experience, like no matter what. And what is it about human nature? Is it connected to needing to be at that point of, of survival? Like, why do so many of us in sport in adventure, push ourselves so hard, <laughs> running or skateboarding or skiing or like, what is, I think it's the need to overcome an obstacle. And I think that it comes from when we were hunter gatherers, we had to stay alive, you know, and we were, it's hard encoded into our DNA and who we are as humans to overcome. And initially it was staying alive and having enough food to survive and keeping your, and kids not, the alive. not the song, not the not the song, although they really hit the nail on the head. But I think, now we live in we live in comfortable lives. We live inside. We have electricity. We have heat. The food is readily available to almost everybody. Like most people live a relatively comfortable existence. But we're not so far removed if you look at the whole span of time from a time when humans were barely scraping by. You know, there were other animals farther up the food chain that were gonna try and eat us. We barely lived to be 25 if you were lucky. And so now we live these comfortable lives. And so we look for things that satisfy this basic human need to like suffer and overcome and push ourselves because we were made to do that. Like humans now, I think don't come anywhere near the potential of the human body and what they're used to. You know, why would you, if you don't, you work in an office and you have a computer and your food gets delivered to you and life's easy. So I think bike racing and, you know, running or any, any activity where you push yourself is tapping into that deep seated human nature to, to overcome an obstacle, you know, and we used to have to overcome obstacles because we lived in a hunter gatherer society and now we live in a, you know, very nice, comfortable society. So we create these obstacles for ourselves, but I think it taps into that same need. I think a lot of it, uh, the need for that as well as a lot of the things we do for work is so focused in our heads and whatever part of your cerebral cortex where it's just focused in that and like this physical thing to get out, to get broader, to get wider. Yeah. To undo that. I know for me, I don't even check my fitness or keep track of it. I think I'm pretty fit right now, but like there's still like, I can quickly, I'm like, I need to go this hard in a few minutes and then I'm like there all day. I don't have to go hard all day, but like it's it's probably a number to that associated with my heart rate, with my effort or something. But like there's this, there's this point where we can get to for that steady state, which is great to be at. But then there's the, the ultra endurance stuff, which you've done more of that. And I want to talk to you about that. And I talked to Yuri about some like, like 24 hours mountain bike with him. I have no interest. Like I've suffered a lot. Like, I'm just like, I don't need to find out like how I would do in that situation. Like, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not curious for you with the ultra stuff. Like, what is it? And talking about fuerza and inside your mind, is that just a bigger obstacle or is it a little bit deeper and darker or are you, are you building up to that point it's or funny are you just a mess? I don't even crazy? think about it like an obstacle. For me, it's just about the experience. And I feel like doing ultras puts me in a really out there experience, like a really crazy mindset. Like the way I talked about it with my friends is like, you ever do drugs? Like psychedelic. Like, yeah, would you ever do drugs without doing drugs? Like you, do, you can get high out of your mind without touching a single drug by doing ultra racing. And it's, you know, I'm not doing it because I'm like trying to get like some weird high, but maybe I am in a way because it's something super powerful about using your body to push yourself to the point where you mentally, you're running on autopilot but you're also, at least for me, I feel like it's almost like 
like I'm looking at myself in a third person, like I'm kind of like not an out-of-body experience, but something Mary's very similar where you're just, everything's happening and you're kind of just an observer to what's going on. And you're, you know, riding the bike, even, you know, going into gas stations, getting resupplies. There's been so many times on ultra races where I like, will be like, I had to stop and eat food. And then I'll be back on the bike and I'll be like, I stopped and ate food. <laughs> I vaguely remember going into a gas station. Like I, I did that. Like obviously I went and like did the exchange of goods for money and I like <laughs> filled my bottles and did everything I needed to do. But all of a sudden I'm just back on the bike and I'm like, man, I have some, can- I have snacks right now. My bottle, how did that happen? You know? And it's, I don't know, for me, I like getting into that mindset where that mind state where I'm, my body is, things are happening on autopilot because then I'm, my mind is like very active. It's weird. Like I'm exhausted and the sleep deprivation definitely has something to do with this. There's a very physiological, you know, proven, proven fact right there. But yeah, you, for me, it's just about, you know, getting, getting my body to the point where it's just kind of doing its thing and I'm, I'm moving and I'm seeing things. And I think that's the important part of it is you could, I probably get the same thing from a weight bench, you know, if you really wanted to, or a stationary cycle, but you're moving with these events. So I'm having this kind of vaguely out of body experience and my mind's a little bit of an elevated state, but I'm moving. So it's like, there's this constant new stimuli. Right. And there's a part of you keeping track. Okay. I need to navigate. I need to get to this point. So there's like this other. Yeah. I'm taking care of business, but I'm also looking at all this stuff that's happening in this like weird elevated mind state where I'm having interactions with people, you know, I'm talking to people, I'm saying hi, I'm doing things, I'm riding through traffic, I'm talking to, I like to talk to farm animals and cats. You've seen me talk to your cats the whole time whenever I come over here, but I'm all, I'm talking to all the horses and the cows I see. And I'm just, it's like almost like I'm part of a TV show, you know, like that, that's the disassociated feeling, the out of body experiences. Like I'm watching a TV show of me doing this weird stuff, but I'm just like out there doing my thing. And it's just something, you know, like I, I wouldn't want to take drugs to do that if I could just go and do that, you know, push myself a little bit and do that because I like being in that mind state. And, and it's fun to accomplish things too and be like, I rode 190 miles today. I rode 190 miles for the last like five days, you know. Plus you get to eat all the snacks. You ever yeah, had yeah. you ever had fifth dinner? All the snacks, <laughs> all the snacks. That, yeah, that's beautiful. And and in moving as a, as cyclists, we move, it, it's kind of the illusion of time that we have, whether it's the movement of through a day or through an hour or of our life or age, that it's just timeless and spaceless as, as we do. That's what I enjoy with, with bicycles. And I always feel like a kid. And then I get on my next Zoom call. I'm like, you're all gray, buddy. Yeah. I was like, I, I know. No. This is the founder of youth, dude. We're this new. is how you stay young forever. It, it's good stuff. It is. And I think that's the ultimate thing is you feel like a kid. Like that's, how do you compete with that feeling if you could still get that? As Don't you ever wonder how how does not everyone do this I, thing? Dude, I can't believe it. People look at me, how do you ride your bike all the time? And I'm, I'm like, okay, I was like, how, how do you guys not? But so that's what I was saying, like with the, the the state of gravel right now. And there's a lot of things that could be said negative about it, but I choose to focus on the positive where like so many more people are hopefully having these epiphanies that we already know and we consider to be common sense. But I can think of, you know, every time someone goes to like an unbound, there's got to be hundreds, the race has thousands of people, right? There's got to be hundreds of people to show up to that race and have this epiphany, whether they be, they're 21 or whether they're 57. And they're like, whoa, that was wild. And then they go home and they continue to do it. Cause they're like, I'm like, you know, you chase the rabbit. They're like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep doing that. So like, no matter what people are selling out, big money's coming in, big sponsors, like what people are on their bikes, realizing that it keeps them forever young. That's a positive thing. Forever young. Exactly. We can start saying we do karaoke on this All right. podcast. All right, Chaz, we're, we're going to go into the segment that I call this or that. And this is 
eh, mostly related to bikes, but yeah. to life, however you want to in- interpret it. Um, so you're just going to pick whichever one. Hit me. Okay. Mountain bike, gravel. Oh. Mountain bikes on gravel. Am I allowed <laughs> to do both? <laughs> sure. Hot or cold? Hot. Any day of the week. <laughs> Pasta, Mexican food. Man, why are you going to make them so hard? Oh, Mexican Life food. choices. Mexican food. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise. Climb or descend? Climb. Climb. God, that surprised me, actually. Yeah, climb, definitely. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to take you descending next time you're out here <laughs> on some of my cutty trails. <laughs> Tell you to bring your road bike, and then we're going to hit the hard stuff. <laughs> Fix it, bring it in. As much as I'd like to say fix it, I haven't bring it in. I don't have the confidence in my. I don't have the confidence in my ability to fix. Bikes it, so have gotten it. complicated. Yeah, although I fix most of my bikes. I'm thinking more like truck stuff. I take my truck in. I don't have the confidence to fix my truck and then take it out desert camping and have it die somewhere. <laughs> the last time I worked on my suspension, this was long. I brought it into the in NorCal and saw Glenn. If you know Glenn, oh, he just yeah. gave you the Glenn look. He's like. Why did you touch Make, it? <laughs> just bring it in. Yeah, why did you touch it? Don't do that. Yeah, so I'm going to say bring it I'm, in. I'm going to bring it in. <laughs> uh, solo or group ride? Solo. I love my group rides, but man, solo. Paper map? Computer. Paper map, definitely. Astronaut or sailor? Astronaut. I want to go to space. I want, slight, slight tangent, but man, I feel like I'm, Maybe in the generation where I'll be able to go to space. It's like my biggest hope and dream is to go to space. And what will you do when you get there, Jazz? Float. Nothing. Just be weightless and look at the world. I'm all about context, right? I keep on saying like context. And I've heard this from every astronaut. So many astronauts, they're like, when you see the world from outer space and you see how big it is, you will never look at humanity the same. A, I want to be weightless and float because that's the closest humans can get to flying. But I really want that context of looking down at the world and we'll all get up there and look back and go, wow, it was a special place. Maybe we should have taken care of it. Right. I know. That's the quandary of this is I want to go to space, but I realize that space flight is probably the most environmentally impactful. That's right. You got to do jazz. Your boy. It's like Gru. It's like Gru when he was a kid. All right. Last question. Have to? Get to. Get to. Of course. Jazz so in search of the lucky. stoke. We are so lucky to be able to do everything we do in our lives. We get to do this. We get to suffer. I mean, like, I hate to be like, we're, we're so privileged. I hate to use that term, like, blessed or privileged. But, like, the fact that we in our lives have the physical ability through our nutrition and not having to go work physically all day to have extra energy to ride our bikes and then the financial and time, we have the time to do this and financially we can do this. Like, we are so lucky. We get to go suffer, which is amazing. So, so grateful. Hey, man. Thanks for that. And speaking of get to, it's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you. Uh, I'm sure we could ramble on forever. Dude, is, we is, didn't even touch Hopper stories. We could talk for like four more hours about all the crazy stuff we've done. I, I, I know. Did I? I felt like we were talking about the toppers too much. I wanted to be about you. Is there something, is there something we're missing? I, I told you I was going to ask you, what, what did we not cover? Because I don't have any notes. I mean, I feel like we covered a lot. I don't know. Do you have I'm, a most epic hopper story? Like they all blend together with, for me, and I don't even know if they're true anymore. People tell me things <laughs> and I'm like, that maybe that's the right year. I just let them believe it. Okay. Cause once you retell a story, it's true. Okay. I'll have an ep- epic hopper moment and then something else that we didn't cover. And then we can call it one of my most epic hopper moments 
It was, I want to say it was old Kaz. I want to say it was probably 2016 or 17, but it was the year that it froze. And there was that huge ice pack before at the bottom of Willow Creek before they went, before they like re-graveled it and did everything when it used to be the river. And we were coming down Willow Creek at the beginning. The pack had stayed together. So there was like 50 of us just flying down Willow Creek. And we got to that section where it flattened out and there was a 50-foot ice patch. And I have never in my life been part of a 50-person bike crash, but every single person crashed. And the lead group were flying and it was just carnage. Nobody really got hurt. But it was just, I will never forget that moment when it was just like, oh, we got it, we got it. And then everybody crashed and no one had it. And that was just amazing. So that I was- there was a big crash on Bittner earlier before that though, right? There, that, I think that had been an icy day. Was there was, I think there was a year. bunch of smaller, yeah, there was a bunch of like little crashes and stuff. But that was the one It was like, you know, with that old Kaz, especially the original ones, when you got down Willow Creek, that was like one of the selections, right? You made it up Coleman Valley, you got down Willow Creek. Once you got to the flat past the gate, you were basically good until you got to- the bottom of old Kaz and you had to start climbing up or Duncan, I guess Duncan, not Duncan Mills. Is it Duncan Mills? The one that's super hard little right turn. Uh, why am I spacing on it? Yeah. Well, that was like one of the first selections. I was like, I'm safe. And then all of a sudden it was just like pure carnage and everybody crashed. But the other thing I, we should touch on is family stuff. Cause that's something to me that I like the biggest challenge in my life. And I actually look up to you a ton for this cause you have been doing all of the stuff you've been doing, but you also raised three amazing kids and I am a stepdad to one kid and it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, and one thing I always, I used to make fun of and now say with a term of enormous respect are rad dads. And that was always a thing with the hopper. It's like, I got beat by a bunch of rad dads. And I used to say it was some you know derisiveness of like all these old dudes that come out, take it super serious and beat me. But now I'm like, man, that's something to aspire to, to be like a father or a mother, to be a parent in any capacity. And still have the time, ability, and energy to race your bike is insane to me. So, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to shout out all the rad dads and rad moms that are out there racing their bikes and organizing bike races because having a child in your life is an enormous amount of energy and time. So the fact that anyone can train and ride the bike in addition to that is amazing. Yeah, it. it, it thanks for mentioning that. Um, and it's a balance for for me uh, as the organizer, I can speak to that and to the riders because you, you know, you have to really weigh what you can do once you're a parent and like, is it essential for oneself and, and, and for the, for the family, you know, and as this has evolved into a family business, it's, I've been able to justify that's been part of the growth. It's like, if I'm going to dedicate this, my heart to this, it needs to be part of our whole, whole thing to get the support. It is a now family my, business. My son, some son's been riding and Tara's there. And so that's Dude, been, Tara has checked me in to so <laughs> many hoppers. And back in the day when I was way more of a scumbag and I would forget to register, I would come up and be like, Tara, I'm going to ride this and I don't want to poach it. So take my money, but I'm going to ride this. And she'd always be like, all right, fine. Here's your, she'd hand, hand write me a number and be yeah, like. Yeah, and behind the scenes, you know, like, you know, last year my sister and her brother-in-law uh, came out to HuffMash, like, I really need you. They drove all the way out there. My dad was at the feed zone. Yep. My mother-in-law is getting the kids. And so they've supported. So there's been a lot of people that have, in in, in any endeavor that takes a lot of work of, of the family, but I've been fortunate to have them. You know, and, and I've just realized that like this experience and, and of riding bikes, it, it, it's essential to, to who I am. And I thought it would shift when I first had kids. One of the things when we first have kids, we're talking about this today, you think, okay, I can't give up this amount of time. I can't be so selfish. Uh, and then one, 
you know, both moms and dads, like if, if that truly is who we are, finding this negotiation with partners and with the families to carve out um, that time. And so people are out there who, who are new family members or whatever we're talking about today is like, you know, you and, then do it. Your, and the thing with me was the whenever I was busy, if one of my kids said, hey, dad, will you do this with me? Boom, on the spot. Drop you got to do it. You got to do it. But you also got to take care of yourself and ride your bike. And like, you know, people got a hopper. I mean, I know that for me, and I think so many other people, the hopper season is a real thing. You plan your, plan your year around it. Yeah. You know, you got a hopper and it's another connection. For me, it, it's my mental health. Like yeah. I can't not say that I, that this is important to me. It, it is. And the type of writing and, and, and the experience, you know, and I also know my, I have a lot of friends who, whose dad, kids are older now too, but they're always balancing and we're always talking about, Hey, when can you fit this in or not? And, um, I've been part of some of those group texts for some of the longer trips. And it's literally like everyone being like, all right, we got a soccer game here. We got this, that, but everyone always makes it work, which is, I think what makes it special is that all these people, most of the people that race hoppers are have families, you know, and it's not just bike racers that are just out there going fast. It's like people that raise children and they still manage to do it. And, you know, I feel very privileged to now connect with a lot of these people on that level because I started as just that like- Well, now you're that rad dad. And I mean, I'm that rad about? dad. You love, you love dearly your stepson and it's super important to you. And I, 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 that's, that's fantastic. I know what I'm saying. Like I used to come to the hoppers and like be like those rad dads and like look down my nose at him. But now I'm my rad dad and I'm like, this is amazing. Like once again, change is the only constant. So yeah, I'm pumped. I'm pumped the world. All right, Chaz. Well, thanks for circling back up with that and keeping it real and in search Always of the pleasure. stoke. And uh, till next time. Till next time. Thank you.